This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. When I used to travel frequently and we'd rent a place instead of a hotel room, and we'd get a place on Airbnb or VRBO, it was always a challenge to figure out if what you were seeing in pictures or in a video tour really were representative of the place and the neighborhood that you were going to go to. And there are times it just didn't work out. And I remember once on a family vacation, we rented a place and got there and it was like, is this really the same place we saw in the pictures? So I went on my phone and I looked at the tour and yeah, it was the place. It was just showed how much with video and pictures you can make something look better than it actually is. Or if you have a really lousy photographer, a place can look worse than it really is. But that case, it was seven nights in a place it wasn't bad enough to leave but it was seven nights in a place that was like ho-hum and not very nice for what we were paying but what if you shop for an apartment or a rental home totally online you're not signing a one-week visit you're signing up for typically six months or a year in a place that could be absolutely terrible. I saw a story in the Wall Street Journal about the nightmare experiences people have been having by renting places that they've only seen sight unseen with a virtual tour or pictures. And I really want you to think through how good an idea that is or not. I mean, my preference, if you're moving across the country or a couple of states away or multiple hours away from where you live, that what you do, this is something a lot of people can't get their arms around, but that what you do is you go stay in an extended stay property for a week or two and go eyeball places in person before you sign a lease. I'm just too worried about what you could end up with. I mean, the other thing you could do 
is if you have a friend or relative who has similar tastes to you, you could, in that case, have them go eyeball it in person. And that way you'd have a set of eyes on the ground. And by the way, it's not just about the place if you're going to a strange city. It's the safety of the neighborhood that you really can't get the sense of until you are on the ground. Brian's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Brian. Hi, Clark. How's it going, Brian? Good. How are you? Great. Thank you. So, Brian, which branch of the military are you in? Uh, it was my grandfather. He was in uh, the Air Force. Well, so your USAA membership in your family is passed down from your grandfather to a parent to you. Yes, sir. That's pretty great. Well, I was wondering if I should start a bank with a credit union or is USAA the same as a credit union or even like similar? So USAA is great for people who are mobile. Uh, They do a wonderful job and they were very early in having a truly online only kind of bank account. I mean, before the internet, they used to have a thing where you would go to trying to remember if it was FedEx offices and mail in your deposits. I mean, they they were really, really early on mobile banking. So the ease of use with doing checking account with USAA is great. They pay a certain amount of ATM fees that you might run up in a month. They absorb those. And so it's a straight out good deal. But you might find that if you have really simple needs for checking, that you might get a better deal at a credit union or maybe even a better, better deal with one of the online banks that pay interest on your checking. The reason why I wanted to switch is because I want to get a mortgage within like two years. So that's why I was considering a credit union. Yeah, so credit unions do great deals on mortgages. USAA has a big mortgage operation. Yeah, I I looked into it, and I I was trying to compare them, and I just wanted to see what you would think, what you thought was a better. Why don't you do both? I mean, you could could put a little bit in each, you know, do a checking account with whichever one seems more convenient to you, and do a savings account with the other so that you have access to both as an active customer. Yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, we're talking about two things that are both great, so... So it really is, look at a credit union, see the convenience factors, what they pay you, uh, you know, on your savings, what they require for you to get free checking, do they pay you any interest on checking, and then you'll be able, once you look at the actual offerings from a credit union you're considering, and then what's available from USAA Bank, you'll see what's going to be best for you. Margaret's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Margaret. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate your help. Absolutely, Margaret. You are one of the rare people in America who still has a pension. Yes, it's actually my husband. Yes, we were a one-income family, and I just feel uh, blessed because we didn't know a lot uh, starting out in life. And now, though, we're faced with decisions that we really do need to make some wise choices because there's no one who can rescue us if we go wrong. 
And I also note when I went online that you were talking about when you would take Social Security, it would be 70. That would be the best thing. Other people have said that, too. Um, You know, like it's the best thing if you're relying half or more of your retirement income on it, which I'm thinking we would be. And then we sold our home. We're in a condo. It's now paid for. We did work on it as well. But, you know, to our standard, it's great. We love it. And so we have money between that and one more check that they gave, like a severance check. So those together, the money we have is like 120000 And originally, I was trying to make that last to 66 in four months for him. But I thought to myself, uh-oh, we could, we could actually take the monthly pension starting at February uh, 1st, 2022. And we can actually make that third 40000 a year because that's about what our base expenses would be uh, going to two years if we started taking the monthly pension. So actually, we could wait till age 68 before we started using Social Security. So the net upsets to about $5,000 a month to work with. We have since had counseling available to us where people say you should take the drop and then invest it and do this and do that. But we don't feel secure that way. We you know, we feel more secure with that $5,000 amount a, a month. And I know that there'll be taxes taken out of that because I, it's just income. And we were just at the tax account just yesterday as well. And I was asking these questions. And I hear you the know, anxiety in your voice. Yes. <laughs> you and your husband have got to go sit down with a financial planner. Okay. Because you are not trying to figure out how to invest a lot of things. You're trying to figure right. out what's the right way to handle money you are a perfect candidate to go to a member of garrett planning network i don't know if you've ever heard me mention them as you've been driving across florida you might have i'm writing it down now so (laughs) garrett planning network you can hire somebody you just like you go to an accountant to do your taxes and you pay him or her so much per hour to Mm -hmm. advise you that's the same way a garrett person works So you go in with the questions you have regarding the pension, when to take Social Security, the other things you're trying to figure out, because once you make a decision, it's done. So you want to make sure you do it with the uh, smartest way to do it. And that's why sitting down with somebody who doesn't sell anything, just gives advice, is who you want to see. And let him or her lay it out to you. And it's GarrettPlanning.com, I think. GarrettPlanningNetwork.com? GarrettPlanning.com, GarrettPlanningNetwork.com. They both work. And find somebody by zip code close to you. And both of you go and, and sit down with somebody, have all your questions written down of the things that you are concerned with and what money you have as sources for when you move into this next phase of your lives so you can get the best advice possible. And I bet you'll have a much better sense about what decisions to make and how to handle money after you do that. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Chris. Hey, Clark. Good to talk to you. Great to have you here, Chris. And you've got a very unusual situation to run by me. I do. Uh, We have a high school junior who surprisingly is telling us he may not want to go to college. And we have a very large 529 plan that we've been saving in ever since he was born. And we're wondering if he doesn't go to college, um, what options we might have for getting the funds out, possibly at his lower tax rate. (laughs) Yuck. Okay. Um, So what you do 
is you want to wait a while to see if a, a 16 or 17 year old, you got some time, this picture could change. It could. So you don't want to react too strongly. As far as transferring the plan so the tax would then be at his lower tax rate than yours and giving him ownership of the account, you need to let the clock run till he is, I'm trying to remember the definition of when you're no longer a dependent now for financial purposes. I don't want to give you a wrong answer, but my memory is it's somewhere around age 25 where you could potentially transfer the ownership, although that is the rules on that are very particular in the 529 plan you're in. But then if he were to take the money at that point, it's never used for education, then there is a um, 10% federal penalty Mm -hmm. and then the tax as well. So it's an ugly amount of taxation. So it's best we to wait till yeah, that's right. Us. I was right. Yeah. It's age twenty-five. Okay. So thank you, Joel, for finding that. So you <laughs> give the clock time to run, and also, I mean, between now and then, his feelings about education may change. The other possibility is you be a very generous relative to a niece or nephew or some other family member who would then have money to pay for their education. Okay, yeah, that's a good option. So we'll uh, we'll hang tight and see how things develop and consider that as he gets closer to 25. And the rules, again, about how you can change ownership and all that, those, uh, so much has changed with 529s over the years. Who knows nine years from now what the rule book will be then? Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Nicole is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Nicole. How you doing? Hi, Clark. I'm doing great. Thanks for taking my call today. Certainly, Nicole. How can I serve you? So my boyfriend and I are preparing to merge our families and homes, and we're planning to move into his place in the country. Um, I have a city home, and um, I live in a thriving area in a busy suburb outside of a large city, and my suburb is, is very large as well. I have a fairly large house and also a 30-year mortgage I refinanced three years ago um, after my divorce. And I'm just curious if it's a good idea to think about renting my house out. Many families are relocating to my area like daily, or should I sell it? Right. So I've got a couple of simple back-of-the-envelope ways for you to make a decision on it. There is not normally an automatically right answer to this question. But let me ask you some of those questions. Okay. All right. Number one, how far will you be away in time if you were if there was a problem and you had to go deal with something at the property, how long a drive is it to that home from where you're relocating? About fifty minutes from his home to my home. Five zero. And five zero. Okay, so that's not a factor. We can eliminate that. Okay. All right. Second factor. 
how much was the home worth when you bought it? How much is it worth today? Um, when I purchased it, it was probably around four hundred thousand, and it's uh, it's appreciated up into value about four hundred and fifty. All right. So the second test would make it reasonable for you to keep it as a rental property because there's not been a huge run up in value to this point. If there okay. had been, that would be a reason to sell it for tax reasons I don't need to go into with you. So then okay. that brings us to the third thing. How much do you think you could get in rent for that home? Um, well, I looked at other properties and um, also I, I'm not sure how accurate this is, the estimate rental estimate that they put online. It looks like I can get about maybe 2100 a month for it. Okay, you got to other- sell it. Okay. Because that gives you a value of less than half a percent of rent per month. And generally, when the math works for something to be a rental property, you're getting 1%. Okay. Now, there is is one human factor that would negate what I just said. So you're going through a big lifestyle change. You're moving in with someone and... If this is a trial moving in and maybe that won't work out and you find you're really a city person, then it would be great if you could move back into the home you already knew. Mm -hmm. And that would be a justification for renting it for, let's say, a year. But if it's just dollars and cents, based on the numbers you gave me, sell it. Okay. That makes sense. Because it's not not enough rent per month to justify Mm -hmm. having it as a rental property. Okay, and that's kind of what I was thinking as well. Um, that's why I just wanted your advice on, on what I should do. And, and I hope this next chapter of your life is absolutely wonderful. Thank you. So far, so good. That is great. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you have. Our website's clark.com and clarkdeals.com. So... Brand new data from the American Customer Satisfaction Index, which does, I think, the most in-depth and most respected research on how various industries and specific companies are performing and how they deal with you and me. The latest data from them is bad ugly. There has been a shockingly severe decline in customer service, pushing industry after industry into full mode customer no service. And it is so stark and clear with the newest survey data and certain industries are really looking ugly in what we're experiencing. So of industries that in the most recent data are doing the worst job and have had significant declines in how people look at them, health insurers. That the customer no service, the dissatisfaction with health insurers has gone through the roof. And it is something that I believe has always been a result of the fact that most of us are not looked at as the customer by health insurers. 
that most people get their coverage indirectly through an employer or something else like that and the health insurers don't care at all how badly they treat us because we're not their direct customer and the latest american customer satisfaction numbers are pitiful now another category that goes right along with that even a lower rating on customer no service and customer satisfaction major hospital systems and i think that goes without saying with all these mergers that big hospital systems have entered into they've lost any sense of urgency of competition it's all been about dominating markets and so the healthcare sector is looking really really awful not only is it very expensive but the quality of service we get atrocious another category that did really badly and usually i'll be talking about you know when these surveys come out i'll talk about this industry's doing better this was doing worse this particular provider is doing great this time i'm looking at their chart every single industry they rated this time which is nine industries all nine have lower scores for customer no service than before but guess who two years in a row pre-pandemic last year this year in the pandemic what industry is looking terrible the banks and the big banks and what are called super regionals those are the larger banks that but they're not a giant monster mega like bank of america wells city or chase but they um they have seen their scores go down 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 the biggest decline has been in the super regionals who don't have enough money to have really great apps and technology and have completely lost any connection to customers where should you go if you can still find a small local bank they still do really well and typically credit unions do well as well that's where i would go look and not deal with a giant bank ever deanne is with us on the clark howard show hi deanne hey clark how are you great thank you deanne so you're nervous about retirement i gather yes i'm one of the uh 70 percent and so i'm calling as a representative of that group and i know largely you have people well you lately you've had a lot of people in their 20s 30s and 40s call in that are very together and i definitely salute them but i'm not in that group yet though i can say that we have turned over a new leaf and we are doing what we need to do but you know i've run different scenarios and i may be working till i'm 77 which would be okay that would be you know then we would be living at you know a, a standard of living close to what we are now but the thing is is that my husband is eight years older than i am and i have parents who are alive and well and i would like to be able to spend time with them so I'm exploring out of the box and I want, you know, I was thinking like, is there a mini business I could start, you know, that wouldn't take tremendous amounts of time and so forth. And then I thought, well, I'll call Clark and see, 
if he can throw anything into the mix. Right. So, uh, as you said, overwhelmingly, people have not been able to save any meaningful amount of money towards retirement. And you got close to that time and you're like, what am I going to do now? And so here you you are in a position you've started really focusing on it, putting money aside, and you're still looking at age 77, which uh, I think you said your, your husband would be 85 at that time. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, how many years would you have left to enjoy your parents? How many years would you have to enjoy life without having to work all the time? And, and this is a tough dilemma. So Right. One thing I would consider, you have obvious longevity in your family, if your parents are still with us, is that instead of specifically concentrating on how am I going to work a lot more hours now to generate more money now, you might think of it a little differently, and that is that through your 70s, you keep working part-time but less hours, and as it's possible for you to work, to keep dialing that back so that you're working a smaller number of hours instead of looking at an arbitrary date that you go from working like a maniac to be able to generate savings to not working at all. That makes sense, yeah. Because so it people have to be an either or. And people in your situation do exactly what you did completely normal that you look at it like i'm going to be working till i'm a thousand you know that kind of thing (laughs) and instead if you thought of it as work being something that remains a part of your life for maybe a substantial period of time but where you do free up some time where you're working a smaller number of days or you take a longer time off at a time that it would be great to go see your parents or whatever, that you think right. of it that way that that you are going to gradually, over the next uh, many, many years, dial back the number of hours you devote to work instead of going from all to nothing. Okay, I like that. Thank you very much. Um, if you do want to pick up some part-time cash, instead of looking at starting a business you're going to have to invest in, there are a lot of um, part-time opportunities you can do that you schedule up or down based on your convenience. I have a not exhaustive list, but I've got a number of things you can do part-time at your schedule on Clark.com. None of them are going to make you big money, though. Yeah, right. But the more years you continue to generate income, it means you need a smaller amount of money moving forward each year as you live out the rest of your life. And so don't look at this as this thing that I'm going to be working all these years. Instead, think of it as you're gradually working less through many years. Ken is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Ken. Hi, Clark. How are you? I'm doing really good. So, Ken, you're thinking of a way to deal with you potentially living a long, long, long time. Hopefully. I'm thinking I'm 67 years old, almost 68, and I'm thinking I'm getting a longevity annuity. It's hard to get information about it because people really don't want to sell them, but... 
from what I understand, it's a single-pay situation. And I'm wondering if just getting a a long-term bond, a 10- or 15-year bond, wouldn't be a better situation and more control over the money in case of a early death or something and then not being able to get to the money. Right. Great question. All right, so let me explain to you the difference of each, and let me explain to other people what we're talking about. So I imagine you're somewhere between age 60 and 65 or somewhere in that general vicinity. I'm 67. Okay, perfect. So what a longevity annuity does, and it's an annuity that's not a cuss word, they're, they're great things to have, is usually you'd buy one, let's say, at age 85. And so whatever money you have to get through retirement years up to being one day from turning 85, you can spend everything you got. And then the day you turn 85, for the rest of your life, however long that would be, you get a, a really significant check every month. So the difference is if you did what you were talking about and just bought a big bond that would be available to you later in life that you just left alone, um, you would never be able to generate as much money as you would with a longevity annuity because the longevity annuity, the sellers are expecting you to die before they'd ever make the first payment. So the people who outlive the tables, the actuarial tables, get these really, really big checks subsidized by all the people who passed away before they lived long enough to get a penny from the longevity annuity. Yeah, my, my problem with that, though, is if you buy an annuity and you die before it matures... You get nothing. You all... What's that? You get nothing. Right, exactly. But if you had that money in a bond... The people that would inherit your will, wouldn't they get something out of the bond where they wouldn't get oh, yeah. anything out of the annuity? Yeah, but see, it's a completely, I mean, think about the, the difference. The bond is only going to generate so much money. The longevity annuity that would either pay if you live long enough or pay nothing if you don't gives you a big amount of money per month. So if you're more interested in making sure that your heirs will inherit money, you would never want to do a longevity annuity. Okay. Is a longevity annuity, uh, from what I understand, it's a single-pay situation? Usually, right? yes. That you, okay. you pay the money up front, and then it just sits there, does nothing for you. At your age, it would do nothing for 18 years. So you would pay right. in all that money. The good news is if you passed away before that day, you wouldn't, no. I mean, you know, you wouldn't have a chance to regret, right? But if you did live well past 85, then the insurance company is paying you enough money every month to live a very comfortable life for the rest of your days. Okay, that answers my question, then. Thank you very much. Sure. Have a great day. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Is it David or David is with us on the Clark Howard Show? It's David. It's David David Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly, David. How can I serve you? I have been receiving lately promotional emails from one of the three major credit bureaus on a way of boosting my credit score. And uh, I'd like to know how does it work and if there are some uh, counterindications, because I am very close to 800. So I'm quite surprised of uh, receiving such uh, promotional emails. It's from Experian, I'm assuming, is what you're talking about. Because they've been soliciting a lot of people about Boost. And it's designed for people, not you, because of your very high credit score. That means you've got multiple lines of credit. But there are a lot of people who have what are known as thin files, where they don't have a lot of credit in existence. And what Boost does is that it considers things that are not credit, like how you pay your cell phone bill, how you pay your power bill, If you have a natural gas bill, how you pay it, um, it could, uh, I don't think there's, there are others that consider how you pay rent, but I don't, I don't remember if Boost considers rent. The idea is that Experian believes you can identify somebody who would be good with credit by somebody who pays their regular bills on time all the time. And so for you, if you're pushing 800 this is not of interest or note for you i see thank you very much clark sure but there are many people who would benefit quite nicely from it and so i'm glad you asked the question for people who would get a direct benefit jake is with us on the clark howard show hello jake hello how are you doing good i saw an article of yours online on tv streaming services and uh, your recommendations and so forth. And uh, I actually had a a contractor uh, doing some work for me, and he mentioned a service that he said is just like, you can't believe it, it's $20 a month. Well, since I went online, I see it's $25 a month now. But it supposedly includes every sport channel, every movie channel, every pay-per-view channel. And uh, I'm like, "This, this is too good to be true. It is too good to be true because they're thieves. So this this is what I was. (laughs) This is a I see the I see the company now that is the one giving the pitch. Call it a company is an odd term. They're pirates, and there are many many of these pirates operating here in the United States and elsewhere in the world that are stealing the content from others and then pirating it to you, and so they're not paying anything for the content, and then they're charging you, in your case, 300 bucks a year to get all that content, and it, it's just a 
very, very popular pirating activity. And a lot of people don't want to know that they're getting stolen content, but that's what they're doing when they do these, um, starting to use the word services. Um, it's it's got to be a better word than services when it's stealing. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I, I kind of thought it must be because when I tried to look the company up, uh, you could find any reviews. I was able to find the company online, but no reviews or anything like that about it. Well, they're really going to give you all that content for the 300 a year. But remember, you're receiving stolen content at that point. And it's just, uh, nobody's getting prosecuted for this, as best I know, but it is stealing the sports programming and the other programming as well. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.